Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, hello there and welcome in to a new edition of the same type of show. It is Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. And I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. Good to be with you on a new platform and our partners at Last Word on Sports. I want to publicly thank Mike Kovacs and everybody uh, with Last Word on Sports for partnering up with us in particular for the promotion of this podcast feed. And uh, in fact, two of the other shows that are on this feed are also very grateful for all the help and the support that we're going to get here. You'll hear from both George Offman of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on this very podcast. We'll be talking uh, what else? Chicago, but some Bears Super Bowl memories and guests that George has had, including his guest this week, Jay Hilgenberg, the former Bears Super Bowl center who's now in the media in Chicago. Again, George does a fantastic job of weaving in and out of local slash national sports media members that have tremendous stories. Uh, he's now in season seven, and Hilgenberg is the guest this week with it being Super Bowl week for the Eagles and the Chiefs in Arizona. We've got a bunch on that, obviously, today. So I'm looking forward to talking with George. Also, Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullins podcast, the announcer schedules podcast, also on this feed as well. The last word on sports media feed. So uh, have no fear. That will be here on a regular basis, out usually Thursdays by midday. Again, we started off with George and tell me a story I don't know on uh, Mondays. And then uh, this podcast comes your way on Wednesdays on the schedule. Uh, George out on Tuesday. This podcast out on Wednesday and then announcer schedules on Thursday. And then usually uh, if there's a, a pertinent interview, obviously, from this one or from Mike and Phil, we'll have those out as its own separate uh, podcast on the feed. So that's why you want to be following or subscribing for all the different content and all the different stuff outside of the schedule. So uh, we're anxious to bring all of that to you. And by the way, I said this as we were wrapping up last week on the relationship, the formal relationship with sportsmediawatch.com with Dr. John Lewis and and the Sports Media Watch uh, podcast feed. He and I have agreed to go separately with our own ideas, our own ventures, and uh, and John obviously still has his site and still will continue in some form a Sports Media Watch podcast. We are partnering here with Last Word on Sports uh, for the reasons that uh, that I'm laying out here for the partnership that I'm laying out with them. But I still look forward to having John on this podcast as much as he would let me bother him on a on a semi basis uh, here and there to talk ratings and his point of view etc. I look forward to that. And you're going to hear from a lot of different people in terms of interviews, insight, people in the industry. Uh, all of it uh, for sports media. So thank you for finding us here. Make sure you uh, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're following and subscribing on all the podcast platforms so that you get us right away. Last word on sports media coming out overnight, Tuesday into Wednesday. All right, so George will be here uh, later on with the Chicago Tinge. Mike Gill will be here. Mike with uh, with Phil on the announcer schedules, but Mike also ESPN radio affiliate ESPN 97.3 in uh, South Jersey, Atlantic City uh, is their radio market. 
and he will be covering Super Bowl 57 from the local angle. So I want to talk to Mike. It's kind of interesting. He's been to the Super Bowl on several occasions with his station, including when the Eagles were last there against the Patriots in Minnesota. He's going to tell you a story about that. But he's now covering it as team reporters, team media, team market media here all the way out to Arizona. As as he was saying, he's never been in Arizona before. He was saying that to me. You'll hear that in the conversation in the interview, how you cover this, how you navigate Radio Row. I'm interested in all those things. Not so much the X's and O's of the game. Well, you'll hear a little bit about the game uh, here on the show, but Mike will give you more on that. Also fascinating here on this podcast, we'll go inside the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, induction room where the voting takes place. The 15 finalists that include the likes of Darrell Rivas and Reggie Wayne and Zach Thomas uh, and on and on down the list, Torrey Holt, uh, Dwight Freeney, that are all on the list for the 2023 Hall of Fame class. 15 finalists, they will try to whittle that down to five guys. Uh, no, not the hamburgers and fries, five guys, but five guys for the Hall of Fame. That announcement is coming Thursday. An interesting Jason Cole, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, national a uh, writer for the NFL for many years at places like Bleacher Report. And now with Outkick.com, Jason is a longtime football uh, insider, a great insight on the Hall of Fame. And the interesting thing is they used to do this meeting in person on the day before the Super Bowl, on the Saturday before the Super Bowl. The pro football writers would gather literally for hours and hours and hours and debate and discuss and eat food and take bathroom breaks and go for six hours, eight hours, 10 hours in their meeting to whittle down the finalists. Well, now, because of the COVID-19 craziness three years ago uh, and in the aftermath of that, they've gone to virtual meetings. They no longer meet in person. They meet now virtually. I want to talk to Jason about that part of the process. I think you'll find this fascinating as the media again votes on the top pro football players, but they don't do it in the same room anymore. So Jason will go over that dynamic. Does it get heated or not? How do you make your case? good or bad? How do you lobby some guys? You used to be able to lobby some guys in person uh, for your particular candidate. If you were seeing them and you were around them, now you don't do that. And another interesting point is those guys have already had their meeting. They've already made their decision. They made their decision like over a week ago in their virtual meeting. So the NFL has known about this and the NFL has been notifying the finalists that got in so that you will see the made for TV stuff on Thursday night, the NFL uh, Hall of Fame announcement comes out Thursday night. The players will be there in Arizona. All of that is not just coming together uh, today and the next two or three days. That's been coming together for the last week and a half or so. So Jason already knows the Hall of Fame class, and he's got to be like in the CIA. And I'm going to talk to him about that, about walking around. You didn't have this problem before. Before, you only knew for maybe a, a little while, an hour, maybe two, before they officially announced it after the meeting. Now you've known about it for days and days and days, and you're worried about it getting out. To this point, as we release this podcast on Wednesday, overnight Tuesday into Wednesday, haven't seen it leak out anywhere that, oh, uh, you know, Andre Johnson of the Texans got in or, you know, uh, pick, pick one uh, of the different guys, Rondé Barber in my market who's been a finalist over and over again and is yet to get in, although all kinds of guys off that Buccaneer defense, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, John Lynch have gotten in. Is Barber going to be next? You know, what about a Dwight Freeney as a Super Bowl champion and such a great pass rusher uh, for the Colts? So some interesting stuff from Jason Cole. We'll have some thoughts on all of that with the Hall of Fame a little bit later on. Uh, all right, so much to get to. Uh, obviously, since last we talked uh, in podcast form, Tom Brady did officially announce his retirement. 
uh, from the NFL. Now, some are not buying that for the reasons that I'm about to lay out and for what he has now said earlier this week. So Brady decides at 45, this is it, at least for playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then again, if you want to be skeptical about that, he said goodbye a year ago in late January, and then 40 days later, walk right back through the door to play for the Bucs. Now, the difference for a third season for the Buccaneers, the difference here is that Brady's an unrestricted free agent. A year ago, he was still under contract. His only option, and the Bucs made this clear to him privately, I can tell you this, being on the inside uh, with the Buccaneers radio broadcast, they, they very politely made it clear, if you're coming back to play after you've announced your retirement, you're only playing for us. We're not training you anywhere else. You're not playing for anybody else. That was... That was part of their negotiating ploy to get him back interested in playing and get him playing for them was that they they made it clear to him. You're not going to engineer uh, a, a trade to some other team. We're just going to consider you retired. We'll put you on the reserve retired list, and that's going to be it. But they left the door open smartly. They got another season out of Brady. It ended up being a playoff season. The Buccaneers very relevant on national TV all the time. Standalone games, including Christmas night, Monday night football, Sunday night game with the Chiefs. Uh, you know, uh, one game after another that that meant something down the stretch of the season. Then you played that game with the Cowboys, which turns out it looks like it will be his final game. Do you really believe he's going to come back? And look, let me give you some insight here. I know some people are, are taking his announcement – uh, as he appeared with Colin Cowherd on the Fox Sports 1 uh, slash Fox Sports Radio simulcast, The Herd, that's on every day, uh, Colin was given a great gift, uh, a phenomenal early Christmas, early birthday, all wrapped into one uh, for all time. I, I don't know that Colin Cowherd has ever gotten to interview uh, Tom Brady on the national level one-on-one -on -one before. But the reason he got this interview, the two reasons he got this interview, is that Fox is broadcasting the Super Bowl. And so they wanted uh, Tom Brady to be out there in the aftermath of his retirement. So that's one reason he got the opportunity. And, and number two, I believe that Fox wanted to quell, to quiet down a lot of the speculation that Brady was going to be on the pregame show. Remember, we've been talking about this and that the shadow would be so large on Greg Olson in particular in the number one position as the analyst with Kevin Burkhart, that it was all, it almost would overshadow and be too much scrutiny, at least in the short term, for anything that Olsen does or doesn't do. So Fox made Brady available to Colin Cowherd and, and had him say a couple of things. One of those, fascinating, is that he will not, will not be in the booth, will not be working for Fox this year. It is my understanding, I will tell you now in the last word on sports media, that he met with them last week, as he said, but it's Fox's desire as much as anything to give Greg Olson the shot because they believe in him. They believe he has blossomed as an analyst. No, he's not the name that Tom Brady is. No, he's not the name that Peyton Manning is, if you could lure Peyton Manning to come be on Fox. No, he's not the name that Troy Aikman was when he left. But let's, let's be clear about this point, too. All right, when Brady did this deal with Fox, a year ago, and I talked about this on the podcast a couple of times recently here with John Lewis uh, in the previous incarnation. When Brady did this deal, it was in February of last year, and it was as Troy Aikman had left Fox to go to Monday Night Football and ESPN. Fox was looking to come off of that move, and they, they knew they were negotiating with Brady. They knew there was a likelihood they could land Tom Brady to be their number one analyst on their game of the week, their playoff games, and they knew they had the Super Bowl this year. 2022 season, 2023, February 2023 Super Bowl. 
So they did a 10-year deal with Brady that includes two more Super Bowls after this one in the rotation because they wanted Tom Brady to be their analyst to replace Troy Aikman this year, including the Super Bowl run. When Brady went back on that deal and said, no, no, uh, I I would really like to play again in the NFL, Fox had to agree to that. I I know, and these contracts get amended every which way, but the contract was for him to begin as as an analyst this year. And he wanted to go back on that contract to continue to play in 2022. So that's point number one. That was Fox's big power move, their chess play with Tom Brady. And it was in the contract that he was going to begin for this season in the number one booth as a standalone with Kevin Burkhardt. Well, now that doesn't happen because Brady's playing. So they keep Greg Olson, the former Panthers tight end, played briefly also with the Chicago Bears and the Seattle Seahawks. And I I will say this from from a critique standpoint, he's gotten better as an analyst, more insightful, enthusiastic. He certainly was better this year than Tony Romo was. He was more engaged, more interested, and that's a whole nother problem for CBS, and I'll get to that in a second. So now you're Fox, and you don't know if Tom Brady's going to continue to try to play or not, despite uh, you know what everybody's wondering. You don't know if he's going to continue to play, and you've got Olsen blossoming, and you've got the playoffs going on. You don't want him overshadowed. So my understanding as well, is that in that meeting, they want to give Greg Olson still every opportunity to grow into this role. And I still believe, this is world according to TJ, it could be that they ease Tom Brady in in a three-man booth. And they did this before with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and Chris Collinsworth because Collinsworth had been in the booth for many years with NBC uh, and, and their coverage of the NFL. He then came to Fox as uh, as a studio host And then he came into the booth with Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman in a three-man booth. But Aikman did not begin right away with with, uh, Joe Buck in the first couple of years of their relationship on Fox as the number one team. And a lot of these executives are the same executives, and they may make that decision. And Brady, by the way, told Colin Cowherd in so many words that he wants to practice at this, get better at this. They're going to be off-air auditions, I'm sure, for him, mock broadcasts for him. And he may end up in a three-man booth before it's over with in 2024 because they like Greg Olson that much. Another factor in this, because people are reading into this, oh, well, Brady's not going to do this until 2024. It must be because he's coming back to play in the NFL. Uh, In the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Fox has got a multi-billion dollar investment in the NFL. This is the marquee team for the marquee product that they have on their television networks anywhere. They have nothing else anywhere else that gets anywhere close to these ratings. And so billions of dollars wrapped up in televising the National Football League. They want to make sure about the number one team and how this is going to go. And honestly, if you're them, you've got to protect yourself. You, you are believing in Greg Olson, who's blossoming. And think about it this way. What if Tom Brady starts to do this and decides, I hate it. I don't want to do it. I don't like the travel. I don't like the work that's involved. And, and by the way, it is work. It is work that's involved. It, it's not a coal mine. It's not working on a, on a roofing company in the 150-degree uh, heat index, heat in the summer in Florida. I get that, but it's work. 
And what happens if he tries this and decides, I don't like it, or he isn't very good at it and decides in the short term, I don't want to do it. I, I can't see him giving up like after a year, but they want to have options. Fox would want to have options and they're going to keep Greg Olson in that role. And, and I believe that's part of what those discussions were about. They're keeping him in that role right now because that's part of his contract that they worked out with him. Uh, to be in that number one booth. And the concern is because Olsen has an out clause, and this has been reported elsewhere. Andrew Marchand, I think, of the New York Post had this and a couple of other places, that if Olsen is no longer the number one guy, he is free to walk away. And I believe, this is not me reporting this, I'm just connecting dots, and I'm really good at connecting dots. I believe what you're seeing, what you're reading, what you're hearing about Tony Romo is CBS unhappy. And what would happen if their number one role were to come open? And I, I'm not saying that Greg Olson's a great fit to go in the number one booth in, at CBS, but maybe he would be. Or maybe Greg Olson's going to be in the number one position on the Amazon Prime games if, if Kirk Herbstreet's not doing it anymore. Herbstreet just did the first year. He says he's committed to do it for four more years. But anyway, Olson could walk away from his Fox Sports deal if he's not in the number one booth. So you're Fox, you're you're balancing all of this. You're trying to work all of this out. And you're you're weighing the fact that Tom Brady has been wishy-washy on I'm quitting. No, I'm still playing. Okay, now I'm quitting again. Is he still playing again? I mean, what would happen if Fox would have gone ahead and named him as the analyst with Kevin Burkhart and had done it super you'd have had a circus Super Bowl week. And what happens if we're going along and February becomes March and he decides he wants to play again? This would be twice in a row that they've lined him up for the analyst in the fall and he's gone back to play. Which, again, I'm not familiar with the contract. I don't have it in front of me. And I'm sure it's a long, complicated contract. But I'm sure it also now has language in it that would probably allow Fox to have a three-man booth if they would want. And I, I'm sure it has language on his end that what happens if he wants to get out of it? What does it cost? Those kind of things. Who knows? All I know is I don't read as much as everybody else does into a sign that Brady wants to play that he's not going to do the broadcasting this year. I think that was as much Fox saying to everybody involved, it's, it's best for everybody involved that we do this slowly. If you're truly in this, Tom Brady, to be the analyst in 2027 and in 2030, and in 2032, then this job awaits you. You are the GOAT. You will be going into the Hall of Fame, just like Aikman did uh, once his playing career was over and he was broadcasting for Fox. He went into the Hall of Fame uh, for this. And he had a 20-year relationship with the network, with Joe Buck, and with the number one game. So if it is a long play for Fox, what is the harm in going one more year here to wait this out, play the option out with Greg Olson? And Olson, frankly, deserves to be treated better with the way that he's done this. I realize he's making a ton of money, He's not making Tom Brady money at $35 million or whatever it is, $37 million a year. I keep hearing that that number's inflated. That's agents getting involved, that it's not that much. What's a few million among friends? But, I mean, Aikman got $90 million reportedly to go to Monday Night Football for five years, roughly $18 million a year. Brady has roughly doubled that, depending on what you believe on how much he's getting. And he's yet to do a game. Aikman wasn't making 18 million, 20 million, 30 million right away. And even if you prorate that for 20 years ago, let's say Aikman wasn't making $8 million, $10 million, much less 12 or $14 million 20 years ago to do this. It escalated with Romo's deal. And all right, so this is interesting. It's the backdrop of the Super Bowl. I'm just saying to you that Fox wants to keep its options open. 
And Greg Olson's done a good job in the number one booth. And I'm sure Kevin Burkhardt and the and the production team and everybody working well together. I, I was around those guys a couple of different times for the Fox game of the week with Aaron Andrews and Tom Rinaldi. Uh, Tom Rinaldi, they're, I mean, they're a team. And before you disrupt all that, you want to make absolutely sure on how and what you're doing. Because bear in mind, importantly, repeating one more time, the deal with Tom Brady was for him to have started this year. And I kept saying uh, over the last few weeks, what happens if he's going to continue to play and he and Fox just don't come to an agreement that, hey, we're going to wash our hands of that deal. You didn't take the deal a year ago. You didn't take the deal in 2023. Now let's see. Let's see when he comes in, and we'll find out. We'll find out how good he is, how long he wants to do it in due time. All right, so there's some on uh, on Brady and Super Bowl week, and Fox now gets ready to cover that uh, that game. That, that again, the, the Super Bowl itself, in terms of revenue, is worth hundreds of millions of dollars to Fox on Sunday. They, didn't, they don't want a circus around this. It's already a big enough circus over whether Greg Olson's last game is Sunday and with the number one team, is it his last game with the network because he can walk away from his deal? Of course, they wanted to temper that down. They wanted to, they wanted to quiet that down, and that's and that's part of what happened. And I know Brady went back on his last on his uh, let's go podcast with Jim Gray. That's uh, now beefed up as a must listen for his true feelings on games and what he's doing. And he left the door open. Jim Gray asked him about returning, and is it is it for sure that he's one hundred percent retired? And he basically said, "I can't predict the future." He didn't say no. He didn't say, no, I'm not coming back, uh, but I, uh, highly unlikely at 45 years of age. He struggled a lot of this season to put points on the board. It took some miraculous heroics in the final minutes of games, or else the Buccaneers could have had a 6-11 and season and missed the playoffs. And now he's going to be 46, year old, 46 years of age this fall uh, when the football season comes into play. Not getting younger, and you saw signs that a 45-year-old Tom Brady was not the same even as a 44- or 43-year-old Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Offensive line had some to do, something to do with that, but be very interesting on the on the carousel of the I – mean, what's going to happen with CBS and Tony Romo? And as much as Romo's trying to deflect off of that, this is not an accident, folks. It is not an accident that, that this is out there. CBS – CBS CBS has got a ton invested in the NFL. Again, billions of dollars for them. And if they have got an analyst who they foolishly gave humongous guaranteed years and money to that is checked out and isn't putting the work in and doesn't care as much, then maybe they are addressing that with him on you've got to be more prepared, better, and more engaged. And maybe there's going to be an opening there. I don't know. Maybe there's an or else from CBS right now because uh, as we've talked about, uh, John Lewis and I have talked about this. Many others have talked about it. Uh, it's not just our opinion. Watch and listen. Watch watch the lack of uh, the same fervor, the same analysis, the same enthusiasm. What's going on there? And it's part of the reason why, just in, in general, in employment and in work, you don't guarantee people a sixth year, an eighth year, a tenth year on a deal because this is what you get in return. You get kicking back and almost a mentality of I'm on cruise control because I'm getting paid no matter what. Got to be very wary of that that's the 10 year deal that Brady got. So, so you got to be wary of those for sure. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk uh, some with my buddy George Offman here. Uh, he's got the Chicago Bears angle with the Super Bowl. And, the, and of course, the 85 Bears, my God, we're coming up on the 40th anniversary soon of that. And all the Bears that played there is Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast. George with me here. Uh, later on, Jason Cole talking pro football Hall of Fame voting. 
uh, for this week. You're going to be fascinated by that. Mike Gill of the Announcer Schedules podcast and the ESPN affiliate in South Jersey, 97.3 ESPN, covering the Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles. We've got all of that coming up. As I mentioned, my pleasure to bring this man on. It's a brand new season of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, as he does a great job uh, with Q&A on the life stories, on the broadcast stories of sports media members, and even athletes that kind of delve into sports media, et cetera, that have ties back to the Chicago area. Hello and happy Super Bowl week, George Offman. Good to have you on on what is the new rebranded Last Word on Sports Media podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on board. It's a pleasure to talk Super Bowl. How are we feeling uh, as we get into Super Bowl week? We're feeling great. By the way, I echo your sentiments about Last Word on Sports. Uh, it's a wonderful site, and I'm, we're very glad to be part of it. And I'm looking for, you know, I don't look forward to as much, you know, at the Super Bowl hype. I don't even watch that stuff anymore. <laughs> but this is shaping up to be a really, really good Super Bowl because these are two very, very good teams. Um, but I mentioned this to a friend of mine the other day. How many athletes would you truly say, I will pay a price, a ticket to go watch them play. It's not as big as you think. Well, Patrick Mahomes is Mm. one of them. He is an astoundingly good quarterback because of his mobility. The question, of course, is what will his mobility be come Sunday? Will he be 100%? Usually, usually when you get a high ankle sprain, that's a lot longer than we saw that in that playoff game recently. He couldn't move very well. And his game is not just throwing, but moving and against one of the great defenses in the last 20 years, the Eagles. Yeah, as I keep joking, it's the most scrutinized ankle in North America, and it will be <laughs> talked about by every uh, show, every analyst for 893 hours. That is my unofficial <laughs> count until we get to the game and can see, can he plant Mahomes on that leg? Can he run? Uh, whatever, but this, this is some spectacle. And so let's morph it into what you do because obviously the Chicago bears, my God, am I even going to say that it was 38 years ago that the Chicago, well, 37 uh, years ago, um, yeah, but who's counting 37 years ago, <laughs> the 85 bears won it. And they won it obviously in January of 1986 in the Superdome in new Orleans. Um, so, and you've done such a great job throughout your library on tell me a story. I don't know of bringing back stars from those bear teams and tying it into their involvement in sports media or their involvement, uh, with the Chicago community, et cetera. You've had the likes of Dan Hampton, who's in the pro football hall of fame, Gary Fincic, Ron Rivera, the current commanders coach, the former Panthers coach. He was a reserve linebacker on that team. You've had all of them on. Now you've got Jay Hilgenberg on this week, one of the offensive linemen from those 85 Bears, uh, which we're going to talk more about in a second. But when when you reflect, you were covering this team, that mayhem around that team in 85. I didn't even get to the biggest names. McMahon, Walter Payton, Mike Singletary, Richard Dent. What do you Lots reflect on? What do you reflect on uh, about that uh, as a sports media member that covered that team? It's still arguably the greatest one-season team in the history of the NFL. I believe that other than one game, which was against Miami, which was their only loss of the year, I don't think they gave up more than 10 points in a single game. That is really astounding. 
That defense was unbelievable. The playoffs shut out the Giants, shut out the Rams, and gave up 10 points to the Patriots. But it's becoming a bit of a faded memory. It is 37 years ago. Remember, the Bears weren't actually a Super Bowl in 2000. Uh, it was 2006 Six. season. Um, and, of course, that was memorable. They lost, but it was memorable because Devin Hester, who I, I really think will be going into the Hall of Fame, uh, that announcement is going to come very soon, with a, you know with a, a, the opening kickoff for a touchdown. We were going nuts. Mm. That was unbelievable. But pretty much you don't think much about that team because it didn't win. You still right. think about the team that won. Well, I want to talk more about – how different those two teams were, the 85 team versus the 2006 team in a couple of moments. And I, by the way, I'm going to hit you with, with a story that I don't think you know. I'm going to tell you a story I don't think you know about Devin Hester's opening kickoff return in Miami against the Colts and Peyton Manning uh, in a little bit. Uh, but you covered that team. How would you describe, maybe in a word or in a phrase, covering the likes of McMahon and Hampton and Singletary and Peyton and the speedy Willie Galt and all those different personalities, Ditka as the coach, Buddy Ryan as the crotchety, fiery defensive coordinator. How would you describe that? Fun, especially with Ditka. Ditka was theater. Everybody was a freelance back then. And it was like, I would tell my clients, be prepared on the Monday after a Sunday game. It's the Ditka show. And everybody was waiting for their sound because Ditka was great. I mean, he was just fun to be around because he was very explosive. We didn't know what he was going to say. And then you had the players. And there were just tons of personalities. I mean, they exuded personality. Mongo McMichael, unfortunately, is now suffering from ALS. Dan Hampton, we mentioned him before. Uh, Jay Hilgenberg didn't have a whole lot of personality, but he only made the Pro Bowl seven straight years. <laughs> and that's a center because they don't get a lot of publicity. Right. They were all, you know, they were overwhelmed by the William Perrys of the world and and Richard Dents and and uh, Mike Singletary's. It was a very entertaining. And then think about this for a moment. They did the Super Bowl shuffle the morning after the night they lost in Miami. Right. The morning after. Now, some of those guys were dubbed in like McMahon, but some of the players turned it down. Guys like Ron Rivera. There were a few others that said, we just lost. I'm not going to do this. And I think it was uh, it was a Jay Hildenberg who said, "I don't know." But after that, they, the album went platinum. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> you missed out on this. <laughs> if you didn't take part in it, you didn't take, get any royalties, didn't get any money. No. All that you mentioned Hildenberg, and he's your feature this week. That yep. episode is the one immediately preceding this one on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed that you can hear George's conversation with Jay Hildenberg. Um, I'm just curious. We want them to listen to the podcast, but I'm sure he's got stories. But again, he was he was one of those that didn't say a whole lot, didn't have to say a whole lot in and around a team that seemed to say everything all the time from everywhere. Right. He is. He was the quiet center, because really, if you think about it, you don't hear much from centers, but he he played 11 years for the Bears. He missed two games. Mm. That's pretty damn good. Missed two games, and he was part of that circus for such a long, long time. Uh, part of, you know, an unsung, you know, hero of a team that was just, like I said, arguably, I think it was Dan Hampton who mentioned that in 2019 when the NFL did the 100th anniversary, named that team the best team in the history of the NFL. That's pretty good. Mm. You know, I mean, there'll be arguments from fans in the, you know, Pittsburgh with the steel curtain. But for that one season, the Bears put it together offensively with really 
just a slightly better than average quarterback in Jim McMahon because he was hurt so often. But all the other pieces, Walter Payton, I mean, they had it all, but they had a menacing defense, which is really what the 2006 Bears had under Lovey Smith. They had a great defense. That's what got them to the Super Bowl. Yeah, no doubt. Again, George Hoffman with me here. So covering that 06 team, because Lovey was the exact opposite. I got to be around him, obviously, as a, a Tony Dungy assistant with the mm-hmm. rise of the Buccaneers in the late 90s. Lovey eventually gets the Bears head coaching job uh, in no small part because of the success of the Buccaneers and on defense. But Lovey was such a reserved guy, not animated in any way, shape, or form, a lot like out of a Dungy mold. Um, and therefore his team was going to reflect it some, but you're right. I mean, Erlacher on defense, peanut Tillman on defense. What else? Who else? Lance Briggs on defense. Yeah. They, they won a bunch on defense covering that team as you did in 06. It had to be fascinating. They had just as much success, except they didn't win the big game. They got all the way to the biggest right. game, but they did it a totally different way than the 85 team. What was the difference to you covering that team? Well, uh, there were quite as many personalities on that team. And Brian Urlacher was not exactly what I would call the greatest personality of all time. Lance Briggs was kind of that way. Peanut Tillman was reserved. They didn't have that kind of aura that the 85 team had. What they had was Devin Hester, who emerged as this extraordinary athlete who, whenever he got a kickoff, look out. He changed the game, by the way. He's changed the rules of the game. That's why he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Not just that he was number one in that department. He changed the way the game is played. But, I mean, they didn't have that kind of swagger. Their quarterback was Rex Grossman. He had no swagger whatsoever. Um, And, you know, they had a decent running back core, but they were effective and they won. And, yes, Lovey Smith was the absolute opposite of Mike Ditka. I think Mike Ditka relished the media. I think Lovey Smith did not like them at all. Oh, no, and would not. And I, <laughs> I can tell you, you got him in small doses at press conferences. I was around him, obviously. And this is, you know, uh, close to 12, 13 years later with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, maybe maybe eight or nine years later with the Buccaneers when his career began. Um, and I'm sitting with him on one-hour radio shows where he's doing his best to basically not say anything about what they might be up to right. or what's wrong with his team, et cetera. I mean, Ditka <laughs> would answer you. Ditka would name yes. names. Ditka would say, we may have to cut so-and-so. And he would be doing that on purpose to send him a message through the media. Just not going to be the case. It, different coaches, different right. situations. Oh, if Ditka, if Ditka was driving the bus, he could easily back <laughs> it up right over you. Lovey Smith <laughs> would never do that. Lovey Smith no. defended his players. All right, uh, telling you a story that you may not know. This comes from Archie Manning, the patriarch uh, of the family, and he told this story to me. This is going on almost 20 years ago. I'm getting that old. George is not an old man. I'm becoming an old man. Um, (laughs) So Archie says this is the first Super Bowl for the Manning family. Remember, as good as Archie was at Ole Miss and with the New Orleans Saints and and knocking around in the NFL, he never never got to experience playoff wins, much less a Super Bowl. So Peyton's in the Super Bowl, 2006. It's the first time for the Manning family. Eli has now been drafted into the league. He would eventually make the Super Bowl and win it. Peyton obviously won it that night in Miami against the Bears. But pregame, Archie, as he described it, calls a family meeting together between his wife, Olivia, and as Archie has described it, as Peyton has verified, Olivia is a much more fiery personality, not unlike Ditka, George Offman. Peyton takes after mom, after Olivia. 
According to Archie, Eli is more like me, a little more reserved. And even Cooper, the oldest brother, who we've seen more now in the media and on the uh, the game show with Peyton and different stuff, Cooper is more reserved too, more like Archie. Eli, reserved. Cooper, reserved. Peyton runs a little hot. Olivia would run a little hot. So Archie's having the meeting with the family, and he says, listen, this is a great moment for our family. It's a great moment to have Peyton out there. I hope it goes well. I think it will go well. But if it doesn't, we're not going to frown. We are not going to be upset. We're not going to be miserable for two reasons. This is a great day. And the second thing is they're going to be showing us. CBS was doing the game. He goes, they're going to be showing us in this suite. And if something happens where Peyton makes a mistake or throws an interception or something happens, they're going to show us. And I don't want that to be there forever. So let's let's don't be down in the mouth. Let's don't be miserable. Let's don't be whatever. The game kicks off, as you know, George Offman. The opening kickoff of the game is Devin Hester, 95-plus yards for a touchdown, the first time ever a Super Bowl has begun with a kickoff return for a touchdown. So the Bear fans are erupting, shaking inside of the stadium in Miami, and Archie, as he describes it, has held it together. Uh, Eli is uh, is sort of holding it together, but Olivia turns to Archie and goes, I don't know about, about anybody else, but I'm damn miserable right now. It's <laughs> sweet. She was, she was not pleased, and he said, thankfully, they didn't show us uh, immediately after the Hester kickoff return. But the fascinating thing is after that, the Bears didn't do very much, and the Colts no. won the game, and Peyton Manning got his moment. But there's a tie-in to your Devin Hester moment from the Manning family. They were... They were miserable, trying well, not remember. to show being miserable. There you go. I think we'll always remember the head coach, Tony Dungy, right. pretty much saying or, or, he was going to, he was not going to kick the ball off to Hester. Okay. <laughs> he said, we're not going to let that guy beat us. What did he do? He changed his mind. He kicked the ball off to Hester. And the rest is history. Uh, and by the way, as I've often joked, that's why coaches go through cases of Maylocks. And as you are follically challenged, and I am, and so was Tony Dungy at that Super Bowl, and so was Lovey Smith. That's why they lose all their hair. That's why you have no fingers left, no fingernails left, uh, because of situations like that. But, yes, Bears memories on the Super Bowl, um, uh, always something fun with this and with uh, with covering this and with being around it. And, by the way, you previously on the podcast feed, they can search for all these names. On the last Word on Sports Media podcast, you can search Dan Hampton's name. The podcast will come up. Tell me a story I don't know. They can search the name Greg Gumbel, by the way, born and bred in Chicago, who called the Super Bowl for a couple of seasons on yes, CBS. He did. Yes, he did. Uh, so that you can search that and listen to George's conversation with Greg Gumbel. And, by the way, while we plug here on the podcast, You've got a future Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, part two with Greg Gumbel that's around the NCAA tournament and all the yes. years he's done the NCAA tournament for CBS, George. Pick it up on both of those for Greg Gumbel. Uh, yes. Matter of fact, he's going to be on March 14th, which I believe is either right before the it tournament is. begins. It is, that um, week. You know, yes. he, he's got an extraordinary history, really. If you look back at what Greg Gumbel has done, it's like everything. I mean, remember when Brent Musburger, and I, I I remember when he was fired by CBS, I was in Denver the night it happened for the Final Four. Mm -hmm. The biggest story wasn't the game with uh, Duke and UNLV, I believe. Correct. But it was the firing of Brent Musburger, and the man who took over the NFL today was none other than Greg Gumbel, who began his career here 50 years ago next month at mm. the NBC affiliate. So, and, and he has some, some wonderful stories to tell. And I'm going to do a little plugging myself because tell me a story I don't know will be a book. 
And it'll be a book uh, published by Triumph Books. It'll be a bunch of vignettes, and it'll be out sometime this fall. And I've been writing like a banshee because i got to get the manuscript in. And let me say publicly that I am so proud of this idea that you created. And again, George has really varied it up. Uh, hearing from the likes nationally of a Michael Wilbon or a Kevin Harlan or a Bob Costas or a Mike Greenberg of ESPN. But he also brings it back to the Chicago roots or the Chicago connection of those people. But you've also featured Chicago personalities, the legendary sportscaster Dan Rohn, who recently retired uh, from yep. WGN that we all saw nationally. You weren't just in Chicago seeing Dan Rohn do the sports. You were seeing it all over the place on the WGN Superstation. That's right. But, you know, Lisa Byington, who has uh, greater Chicago area roots, now doing NBA play-by-play. -play. I mean, we go on and on with all these great stories, they just need to go back, check out the library, search these different names, and they will find those. And now it will be a book. I am publicly saying to you, congratulations. I am thrilled for you, the success that this has had and that it continues to have with all these stories. Uh, and they will now be in book form. And by the way, still coming after they hear Jay Hilgenberg this week, still coming soon, the likes of Jason Benetti, formerly with ESPN, now with Fox and their college football and basketball. But Jason also is now about to go into, I believe it's his eighth season with the Chicago White Sox with Steve Stone. So yep. Jason Bonetti's an upcoming guest, and you've got some other prominent guests that are coming up on this season here as February becomes March, March becomes April in the baseball season. We're anxious for all of that. Yes. Um, actually, we have Joe Madden coming up in a couple oh. of weeks. Darren oh. Pang, a longtime NHL analyst, oh. and he's one of the oh. tiniest goaltenders in the history of the league. Rick Riz, uh, the longtime voice of the Seattle Mariners, whom I followed as the voice of Southern Illinois University Baseball. We're going back almost 50 years now. So I've known wow. Rick almost 50 years, and he is he's a wonderful human being with great stories. The one thing about this is, and I think you know this, is that when you let people tell stories about themselves, they will talk and talk and talk, and it's interesting, too. It's oh. wonderful. I love it. Everybody tells great stories. The, one of the best ones I've ever heard, honestly, it's really hard to beat, is Dave Refson, who, of course, was the original host and still is of, of the Big Ten Network, who told me that when he was on vacation in Martha's Vineyard with his wife and two kids, he wanted one day to himself. He wanted to play golf. And so he called the local golf course there, and they had a foursome. They needed one more person. So he went to the course. He got ready, and he was introduced to the foursome. And the guy he played with was O.J. Simpson. <laughs> I remember imagine that imagine that story just the way he told it he he, he had to play golf with oj simpson this is post everything that obviously happened with oh, the yeah. double murder trial oh yeah and, and all of that and wow i remember hearing that story all kinds of stories. <laughs> kevin kevin harlan told you he wanted to be an airline pilot yes. as a teenager and yet yeah. ended up being he was so fascinated with the airport and air travel he ended yeah. up being a broadcaster. I, I The Bob Costas story, speaking of O.J. Simpson, of Bob Costas visiting O.J. Simpson in the weeks after his arrest in the L.A. County Jail with Robert Shapiro, I'm glued. I'm glued to hearing Greg Gumbel tell you that he's playing uh, in the in the uh, projects, essentially, in their neighborhood, football with his brother and a couple of the famous Chicago Bears of the day of the time back in the late 60s and early 70s come up and ask if they could play catch with he and Bryant Gumbel and their I famous Chicago Bears. I it's, don't know if they were Chicago Bears. I forget who they were. Ollie Matson was one of them. There you go. 
and another one, I forgot, they both became Hall of Famers. But these and are so, stories that you get you know, on George's podcast on Tell Me a, a Story I Don't Know, and it's, it is a, a lot of fun. So we need to plug one more time before you're out of here. Jay Hilgenberg is this week telling Chicago Bears stories, talking about making the transition to being a broadcaster. We bring it back to, to sports media and your responsibilities and your and your efforts. Uh, just plug away on that. And, and, uh, and again, for the, uh, the upcoming few episodes that people are going to find on tell me a story. I don't know. Well, let's see. Um, we do have, as I mentioned, Joe Madden, who, uh, of course was manager of the Cubs and was doing the rounds with his book. And Joe's just, you know, we were very Amazing. lucky in this town. Um, as you, you know, you were, uh, for a number of years to have this incredible personality who really manages and speaks out of the box. And you need to have people like that. And we're very happy that Joe is here. And, he, you know, he helped guide the Cubs to their first World Series title in 108 Are years. Are you surprised at this point, and I think it's got to be coming soon, that he's not on TV somewhere at the network level I don't think analyzing wants, talking baseball? Or do you think I he just doesn't think, want to do it? I don't think he wants to do that. I still think he wants to manage, but by virtue of the book, I think it's going to be very difficult for him to get the managing job. I mean, we've seen guys like, well, Tony LaRusso's not sure she should have been managing at age 76. Uh, Dusty Baker is still managing. Uh, Joe is going to be, well, I think he'll be 70 next year. He's just turning 69. But, I mean, ESPN but, uh, would hire him tomorrow. Fox oh, would sure. hire him tomorrow. I'm sure anybody would hire him tomorrow. Absolutely. You know, Joe knows what he's talking about. He's been a very interesting guy. We have on this program Doug Bruno, who has been the head coach of the DePaul women's basketball team now, for, I want to say, close to 40 years. Mm -hmm. They never won an NCAA title, but they've been a very good team. I think they're having an off year this year. He's in his 70s. He has absolutely no, no plans of retiring. He's a very interesting fellow. You want another tell me a story I don't know before you're gone? I think we've talked about this privately. I don't know. TJ Student Broadcaster, 1991-ish, 1991 or spring of 92, one of those two seasons, as the play-by-play -play student radio voice of the Memphis State Lady Tigers, got to interview Doug Bruno for the post for the uh, pregame show as the opponent. Wow. Going back thirty years ago, uh, as I was really green, really young, cutting my teeth on being a broadcaster, you're there by yourself trying to figure out what do you do for a pregame show, what do you do for a halftime show when you're the lone broadcaster. And I would always interview the opposing coach, including Doug Bruno, for a DePaul-Memphis State women's basketball game going back 31 or 32 years. How am I doing on telling you stories that you may yeah, not have known? That's, that goes but, back a long way. Do, so and Doug Bruno, if I'm not mistaken, has won six or 700 games at DePaul oh, yeah. for ladies he, basketball, he, my God. Yeah. So, you, yes. coach, you coach that long and you're pretty successful. You're going to win a lot of games. I'll give you one more person. A lot of people have never heard of Don Levin. Don Levin is the owner of the Chicago Wolves, which is the American Hockey League uh, franchise. Uh, what's most interesting about Don Levin is where he made his fortune. Rolling papers. How about that? These are the Rolling things papers. that you find out. And he owns he owns the Chicago minor league hockey team. By the way, if you need him, uh, Doug Bruno's got 700 plus wins going into wow. this season. Yeah. If you need him uh, as the DePaul coach. Tell me a story I don't know. Jay Hilgenberg is the guest this week for Super Bowl week. George Offman always does a magnificent job. That podcast is out overnight on Mondays into Tuesday morning on this very podcast feed. 
uh, as we bring you last word on sports media and our new partnership and let's, there. Excuse me for interrupting. Let's not yep. be shy about this, TJ. TJ Reeves is very much a very important part of to tell me a story. I don't know. You know that, so don't don't shy away from that. You are a very important part of the I, I always say to you, you give me much more credit than what I deserve because you have done the hard work. It's sweat equity. You've put in the work. It's a great – hey, and it's a great listen, folks, on how these things tie back in, including pig out on the Bears – on uh, Bear Down Chicago Bears for this week. If you are a Chicago uh, sports fan and or reminisce about the 85 Bears and how devastating they were, George, again, has Dan Hampton on this feed, Gary Fincic on this feed, uh, and again, Jay Rivera this week, Ron Rivera, that all played uh, on that team with the different stories and uh, and everything that happened from that time frame. Do I sneak a quick prediction out of you? With a hundred plus million people that are going to be watching wow. Eagles Chiefs, you got a quick prediction before we're gone. So hard to predict this particular Super Bowl because it really, to me, hinges on the health of right. the quarterback. Because the Eagles defense is dominating. It reminds me a lot about the Bears defense. They have a great pass rush. I don't they lead the league in sacks by a Correct. long shot. Wait, so I think that you know. The Eagles are a great team. They they are they are well put together. But if Mahomes is healthy, I like the Chiefs. I like the Chiefs in this game. 31-28. Mm, wild high-scoring game, and we'll see how healthy Mahomes is with the extra week to rest. We won't know. We'll scrutinize that ankle later in the week. My friend, always great to be with you. Love the insights. And we'll listen to you and Jay Hilgenberg this week to preview the Super Bowl more. That's on the feed immediately before us. Thank you, George Hoffman. Thank you, TJ. Great stuff from George. And again, tell me a story I don't know. Searchable for all of those uh, previous ones with Dan Hampton, Gary Fensick, Ron Rivera, Dan Pompey covering those Bears for the last 35-plus years. Was a recent guest as well, telling stories about it. You'll love it. And Jay Hilgenberg, the guest this week, kind of mild-mannered, but the offensive line always very intelligent. And you'll hear Jay talk about playing for those uh, flamboyant, rambunctious Bears of 1985 coming up on the 40th anniversary. All right, let's move on. The Hall of Fame coming up. Interesting that George mentioned the name Devin Hester. Jason Cole, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, national writer, outkick.com. He's our guest now on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast to talk about the process. Devin Hester's a topic in this conversation that you're going to hear, how the vote has already taken place, and the the voters have got to keep it secret. you got to hear all of that right now as we continue. Well, I love this man's insight, and I'm thrilled to be able to get him on because we are on the verge of knowing the 2023 Pro Football Hall of Fame class coming this weekend. He is a longtime voter for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, longtime national football writer and columnist, author as well of NFL books. Can I prop him up anymore? He deserves it. Jason Cole is with me on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Uh, Good to have you, Super Bowl week. How have you been? Uh, the game uh, will be here soon enough. The Hall of Fame announcement will be here soon enough. We're going to have an exciting weekend. How you been? Things good? I, I have been fantastic. Thank you. And, yes, we had our voting for the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, it used to be on Saturday. It was the big reveal. You know, get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and start meeting. And then, um, you know, they would know that night. Now they've changed the whole format and we vote earlier and they do the knock on the door at people's homes and do the thing on Thursday night, which, you know, we all acquiesce to television and kind of make a buck. But, um, 
it actually probably raises the profile for those guys getting in the Hall of Fame because more, more people notice. So that's a good thing, ultimately, right? Um, but yeah, the, the process of doing the Hall of Fame is one of the things I treasure the most about, um, about any year. Yeah, the, the so, work that goes into that. So let's let's get into that a little bit because the way that it used to be is mm-hmm. that as you made quick mention of, you guys would gather on the day before the Super Bowl at the site and go into the selection meeting, as it's known, a Hall of Fame yep. class selection meeting. And it's no exaggeration. You would be there all day and into the afternoon debating the different candidates. Again, you don't have to get into specifics, but share with us what it's like to be in those settings as you were for so many years before it became virtual. We'll get to the virtual part coming up, but in person, what's that room like? What was it like? Um, I mean, look, we're all we all love the sport. So you got 50, you know, basically 50, 60 people. It was 48 voters. Now it's 49. So at the time, 48 voters would get together in a sort of U-shaped formation or, you know, with, with the people who run the Hall of Fame at one end and then, you know, in this, this U-formation around the room. And we'd get up and argue and about, about these guys. And most of it's civil. Sometimes it gets a little snarky. Um, and I like the snarky. You know, I like the the arguing. Like, like, let's get to it. You know, now they're all. You know, you have to approach this. All the guys we're talking about are quality football players. They are at the very least very good to excellent players. Who you know, depending on your viewpoint on them, are Hall of Famers. If you're a fan of this guy, you definitely think he's a Hall of Famer. And that's what we're kind of sorting out, right? We're sorting out the best of the best of the best. So this is a fantastic conversation about the history of the game. Now. Sometimes it gets a little boring, you know, as we're sitting there for eight or nine hours and it's one, you know, glowing quote after another, after another, this guy changed the game. No, this guy changed the game. Oh, but maybe this guy changed the game, right? Like we get a little too much of that, but that's okay. Cause again, you're talking about the best of the best. Um, and you want to sort it out and you want to help have a healthy conversation. So, there's a little push and pull back and forth. And I think that that's, that's great. And I think it was better in the, in the in-person, you know, uh, way we used to do it, but you know, the world changes and, you know, COVID happens and then TV happens. And then, you know, we have to, you know, do the made for TV moments, you know, where they, you know, the Hall of Fame people go on the road and knock on guys' doors. They can't do that all in one day. You know, you're, right. you're going all over the country, right? So, like, there's production that goes into that. So they need some lead time and things like that. So that gets done a little bit faster these days. Gets done a little bit earlier. Okay. I, you know, I'm all good with that. I mean, look, to me, it's just an honor to be part of it. It's an honor that the Hall of Fame selects me as one of 49 people who get to decide who gets in the hall of fame i feel a great responsibility to that and that i've worked you know my career to get to that level so for me i love this well deserved and i always love the insight of jason coley still returns my call my text message we got to actually see each other in the regular season as the 49ers bludgeoned my buccaneers and tom brady's return to northern california was not so special uh on that day 
And and then the Dallas Cowboys uh, erased any chance of a of a repeat of the Buccaneers coming back out to San Francisco with a second chance to beat the 49ers, maybe. And Tom Brady's career apparently is done, if that is to be believed um, from what he says right now. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. But anyway, I love mixing it up with uh, with Jason. So now you give me great insight uh, on this stuff all the time. So now it's a virtual meeting. And so is it is it tapped down again? You don't have to get into specifics, but is it less heated because you're not in the same room? You're sitting on a Zoom like what you and I are doing with 50 people or a, a video conference at the minimum with 50 or 60 people. Is it a little more sterile, too strong of a word? Is it not the same as it used to be because you're now all virtual doing this the last couple of years? It's not as different as you would think. Um I think there's a, you know, there's an element of you reading the room, especially if you got have a candidate you're trying to, um, that you're trying to, to, you know, to promote. Like Zach Thomas, the last few years, I've obviously spoken up for Zach Thomas. In the past, it was Terrell Davis. When you're all together, there's a little bit easier to read the room. The other thing is, when you're all in the same place, you have a lot more discussions off to the side. Like, even in the few days leading up to the vote, like, okay, what are you thinking about this guy? What are you thinking about this guy? What are you thinking about mm-hmm. this guy? Well, you know, what are you hearing about, you know, what other people think about this guy? So you can, you, we used to be able to have more of those, those kinds of discussions. Those don't exist right now. Some of them are done by phone, you know, if you happen to be talking to a guy, but it's just not as obvious because you just don't run into each other the way that you used to. I still think that, you know, we've gotten back, I think, to feeling more comfortable in the environment of doing Zoom so that it's, you know, we get back to being a little bit feistier. Like to, this year's meeting was was kind of feisty at, mo- at moments. And again, it's feisty in ways that are healthy, right? Like, and, and it should be. It should be a, a good argument, a good discussion, um, not yelling you know, you're not yelling and screaming at each other, but you're saying, look, I think this, I have a problem with this player because of this, right? Compared to this other guy. You know, the the obvious one is, how do you take Devin Hester as a part-time player as great as he is? And look, when I do my survey, he's ended up in the top five of my annual survey. And I'll discover that. I mean, discuss that in a second. You know, if you talk to people around the league, they're like, oh, Devin Hester, no brain. And he, he ends up, you know, fifth on my survey of the 15 guys, which puts him in a healthy part of the discussion. But then I'm like, okay, how do I take that and compare that to like a guy like Dwight Freeney or down mm-hmm. in Tampa, you know, a, you know, a guy like Rondé Barber? You know, these are guys who played full time. Um. How do you measure a career where, you know, where Devin Hester didn't have the skill to become a full-time player, right? Like he was tried at wide receiver and couldn't make it. Now, yes, as a return man, as electric as they come, you know, I mean, you didn't, you didn't go to, you know, you didn't go get a beer. No. When Devin Hester was about to return a ball, like you just didn't do that. Not if you not if you really love football and want to see something exciting, um, and so that that you know that matters. But how much does it matter? 
compared to this other guy. And that's the discussion we have to have. Without getting into the specifics, though, was that a big back and forth on? Yes. No, no different than a kicker. I was thinking this when you were talking. No different than a kicker or a punter. And kickers and punters have been put in the Hall of Fame. But they're only playing a select few plays in the game. So there was, on, on the Hester debate, there was debate on the very point of part-time player, right? Not the same uh, that was as an part, offensive that was or defensive, of defensive guy. Yeah, yeah, that's part I mean, like, that was part of it. Look, I argue, and I, I believe there's a place for Devin Hester in the Hall of Fame. I have a hard time figuring out when and where that is. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's not, okay? I don't want to give anything away. But mm-hmm. like that had to be answered to me by the people who support Devin Hester. Like the way that this process works, so that people understand, is there is a presentation. Like you bring up these guys' names, and there's a presenter. It's usually the writer from or the media person from where that guy played the majority of his career. So mm-hmm. in this in this case, it's Dan Pompey from Chicago, who's a great presenter. Okay, makes very persuasive arguments. Does a does a wonderful job on behalf of the guys that he's presented, and he presented for Devin Hester, and then you know three or four people start talking and supporting Devin Hester, say yeah, this guy deserves it, this guy deserves it, this guy deserves it, and then you know like myself and another guy would like raise our hand, go wait a second, okay, I have to measure Devin Hester against these other guys. Sure. Is his impact against these versus these other guys more? You have to answer that question for me. You know, if you're supporting him, tell me why I should push aside this argument against him as I sort through these 15 people. How do I do that? For again, example, a Darrell Rivas that's playing 60 plays a game, maybe, or 70 plays a game at defensive back. That's a it's a tough argument. Or uh his contemporaries at receiver, right. a Tory Holt is a finalist, a Reggie Wayne is a finalist, and Andre Johnson is a finalist. How does Devin Hester stack up with guys that are playing 50, 60, 70 plays a game? It's it's what debates are all about, right? Right. And and was he so good? as a returner, like, was he such an outlier as, as a returner, the same way that, say, a Jan Stenerud in his time was such an outlier as a kicker, or Morton Anderson was an outlier as a kicker in his era, and probably we're going to say Adam Vinatieri mm-hmm. was an outlier, and then Justin Tucker was an outlier. Like, those specialist guys have to be way outside the norm. Like Ray Guy at his in, in his era, and this was the really tough part. You know, he was a great name, and he, you know, ch- turned punting into kind of an art. But Gerald Wilson was really damn good. You know, Morton Anderson was really, really good. Nick Lowry was great too, okay? And, you know, like, it becomes tough, okay, in these specialists, and only a handful of them are good enough to get in. Like Adam Vinatieri, to me, is the next kicker, but it's the length of the career, it's the 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 you know the statistical you know amalgamation of stats that he has. But the most important thing to me with Adam Vinatieri is the the quality of those kicks, like the. 
the highlight kicks. You know, you're talking about winning Super Bowls. You're talking about sure. critical playoff games. You're talking about his. It's like Lynn Swan. If you just take Lynn Swan's body of work in the regular season, he's not a Hall of Famer. He's just not. Okay. But if you know anything about the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. Lynn Swan is a transcendent figure in, in the history of the Super Bowl. So how do you place that? I mean, he's famous for that. This is the Hall of Fame. He he brought fame and glory to the game. So it overcomes other issues. I mean, it's 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 really hard. And one of the things, and I had mentioned this before, that I do every year is I survey about 400 people every year. You know, I really survey, you know, closer to 550 or 600 people, but I get about 400 responses by the time it's all done. You know, guys who either played in the game, coached in the game, been executives in the game, some combination of that for 20 years, right? And say, what do you guys think? Just tell me your top five. And I sort that and I look at it and say, who are the guys at the top end? Who are at the bottom end? You know, you know, it's not pure that the top five, in my view, get in. But also, how do I sort out if I if I met what if I've got those three wide receivers who you mentioned? You know that how do how, which one do I pick out? You know between you know Holt Johnson and Wayne because you know at the end of the day we can make a lot of arguments about which one's the best. Their their stats line up almost identical, and yeah, I could I could say there's a clear cut reason why Andre Johnson is the guy you would draft first out of those three, because he's a man, like he's just a big dude who can run and you draft that first over the other guys. But at the end of the day, their, their production was their production. Okay. And what they did on the field was what they did on the field. And, you know, Wayne and Holt have rings as well, which I think matters. It's a, it's a rings are not Super Bowl rings are not the only thing that you measure, but they are a tiebreaker. When, when guys are close, like, and did you win? Because the point of this is to win. Absolutely. And the point on Vinatieri, you can talk about great kickers and kickers doing this or that, but how many of them have a kick like he made in the snow uh, a couple of times to beat the Raiders just to get to the Super Bowl and then game-winning kick in the Super Bowl win over the Rams, followed by the next time around a game-winning kick against the Carolina Panthers in a Super Bowl. You might wait your whole career and not win a playoff game with a field goal. And Adam Vinatieri did it three times right in and around uh, those uh, couple of seasons. It was, yeah. he was he was super clutch. Although I do have a funny story about Adam Vinatieri in those snow games. Everybody forgets about this, but Sebastian Janikowski was also kicking in that game. And I think he hit two field goals from like 40 to 45 yards in the snow that day. And, you know, Vinatieri is like hitting them and they're like barely getting over the cross, you know, the crossbar and like going kind of wobbling sideways. And, you know, he's slipping and falling. Janikowski, who, you know, you remember grew up in Poland, you know, mm-hmm. playing soccer. Like when he hit those kicks, he might have been, he might have been playing in his backyard. That's how comfortable he was. Like he just hit it and they were like, they were right down. Like they were bullets. Like, right. Oh, they were, but yeah. It was amazing. But that's the difference. Like Sebastian Janikowski was every bit as talented, if not more talented, than Adam Vinatieri. 
he didn't get the opportunity to hit those kicks, and Vinatieri did, and Vinatieri hit him. Yep. And that puts Vinatieri, as much as they might, some people might argue that Janikowski was a better pure kicker, Vinatieri is going to be the one to go in the Hall of Fame. And Janikowski, I don't think he's ever going to go in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it, that would take a miraculous argument for me. I don't disagree with that. A few more moments. Jason Cole uh, hanging out here. You find him, Jason Cole 62 on social media. Again, outkick.com, uh, national football columnist, pro football Hall of Fame voter. All right, a couple of fun ones real quick. So you guys have had to get used to now the last couple of years essentially being in the CIA. You have your meeting, you know the results, and you got to play I Got a Secret for a couple of weeks. What What is that like? What has that been like? Because it wasn't always that way because it used to be just the day of the meeting. You had to keep it a secret for a little while. Now you're walking around at the supermarket. Now you're, you're taking calls and texts from people like me and you, and you got to keep it mom. What's that been like? It's not that hard. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I respect the fact that people want to ask like the guys, I was on Fox sports uh, radio with Jason Smith and Mike mm-hmm. Herman last week and they're like all right tell us something give us some information I'm like <laughs> i'm not giving you anything okay well because smith is such a Darrell Rebus guy so was he was he making like gilligan's island references uh, or oh, fantasy yeah, island yeah, references he's, trying he's, to get trying was, to get a rebus hint. yeah yeah does yeah does his nickname rhyme with highland um <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, um yeah, yeah. I mean, he's doing. You know, there's some silly things that Jason Smith was doing there. I mean, like they're prodding and they're pushing, and it's fine, right? And and I and I have a good laugh about it. But like the Hall of Fame asks us not to do this. I want to continue to be a voter. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I want to continue to be a voter and honor that process and not spoil it, okay, like there's a there's a cool part of the reveal, um, like. This is, you know, like, let's maintain that cool reveal in this. Like, let's ha- make it a really special moment. And so, yeah, we've kept it secret. And, and the really cool thing is that since we went to this format the last couple of years, the people around the guys who get in, this is the funny part. In the Twitter world, the news was breaking more often from the people, from the guys who got elected and their immediate family. Like, they would just go, oh, he made it, he made it. And then somebody would go on Twitter and, like, post it on Twitter, like, three mm-hmm. hours before the meeting. We're all sitting there going, hey, we're 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 honoring what the Hall of Fame is asking us to do, and we're getting beat on this news, right? Like, it, it kind of pissed us off, right? But since we went to this format the last three years, um, like, people have, have been good about, Let's honor this process. Like, let's do it the way we're supposed to do it. Um, and it's, and it has worked. I mean, I, I got, I got to give these, I got to give the other voters credit. But yeah, we do have to sit on some news here for a couple of weeks. I'll say that. Yep, understood on that one. All right, a fun one. You don't have to name who it is, but give me one that you were advocating for and a a, a player and you thought man i did a great job and it didn't work and then you came back around the next year they're a finalist again and you did a great did you have somebody that you went to the well like three or four times and you're going what is wrong with the room this guy should be in the hall of fame and what is that part like when you think it is a convincing case you make the case 
and that person doesn't get the votes. Take us inside your mindset and inside the room, because I think people are fascinated about this part of the process. Well, sometimes look, a lot of it depends on who is up for election, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like there's just when you have Peyton Manning, Calvin Johnson and um, Charles Woodson <laughs> on the ballot. <laughs> like there ain't a whole lot of spots left for everybody else right? right like just yeah like you just sit there and go okay we got 13 guys competing for two spots it ain't gonna be easy right like you just know that going in um and we've had you know a couple of years like that and we've also had a couple of years where you know the guys who were runaways weren't you know or the guys that people consider first ballot guys weren't runaways um so on my survey which i published this year you know joe thomas and and Darrell Rebus really only got, I think, about 58% of the vote, you know, for people like, uh, oh, you know, Darrell Rebus, first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, people who know about football don't just automatically rubber stamp him. Right. Okay. They didn't. And they didn't rubber stamp Joe Thomas either. Um, and, you know, as much as I think Rebus is a, is a first ballot Hall of Famer, I had some trouble with Joe Thomas as a possible first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, and we're not supposed to distinguish it. You know, you get in when you get in, right? But I was sitting there going with Joe Thomas going, you know, I don't know. And I don't know if this, this guy deserves to get in just right away, like we just snap our fingers, because I don't think he was as good as guys like Baselli who had to wait. But to get back to your original point, the original question, yeah, I advocated a lot for Terrell Davis, okay, mm -hmm. for, for many years. Um, you know, it took him 10 years before he got in. And, I mean, you know, yeah, people, I hear people, you know, they would just denigrate like, oh, everybody who played for Denver got, you know, over 1,000 yards. Yeah, they get over 1,800, and then they get over 2,000, and they put up MVP seasons and win Super Bowls. and like the most staggering thing to me about Terrell Davis is he played eight playoff games. He ran for over 1,100 yards <laughs> in eight playoff games. Mm -hmm. He was on pace to rush for over 2,200 yards in a full season of playoff games, right? Like when you're supposed to be at your best, he sure. was better than anybody else in the history of the game would have been in regular season action when you play the bad teams, right? He's, he's doing it against the best quality competition. He's doing it in Super Bowl games. He is dominating, right? Uh, you know, and I was like, people, don't you see this? And yes, he had a short career, but it wasn't so short that it wasn't amazing. Like it was as good as like Eric Dickerson over the first four years. It was up there with Earl Campbell, guys that we like just said, oh yeah, Eric Dickerson, thanks, go in. Okay. Oh, Earl Campbell, can I open the door for you? You know, to let you go in mm -hmm. the whole thing. You know, can I, can I, can I walk in as you go in in the first ballot? Like we didn't even question those guys. But we're like, oh, he didn't play long enough. He didn't. And I always said, like, if he just had, like, four more crappy seasons where he ran for 700 yards and we, okay, we tacked on another 3,000 yards, would that make you happier? Or did you see enough in that period of time? Tony Baselli was the same thing. Now, I get it. Offensive linemen, it's a little different craft. And you got to play for a long time. But I saw Tony Baselli. 
And I saw Tony Baselli destroy men who we put into the Hall of Fame, like Derek Thomas, like Bruce Smith, like mm-hmm. Jason Taylor. Like he treated Jason Taylor like Jason Taylor was a child. And Jason will, ad- will admit that, okay? Mm-hmm. He will say that man just dominated me. I, and I still remember a game, a Monday night game in Jacksonville where the Dolphins were in Jacksonville. Fred Taylor runs for about 75 yards for a score. Tony Baselli runs down. He's getting ready to line up for the PAT. Jason Taylor, who he buried into the turf, is still back at about the 25 or 30-yard line. And Baselli's down there. Baselli turns and looks at him and goes like this. It's Jason Taylor. (laughs) He taunts Jason Taylor. I mean, you just, you go, that's what a Hall of Famer looks sure. like. The playing style, the domination, the attitude, everything. I And, you know, you sit there and go, guys, don't you get it? And you do it for four or five years. And then you go, look, this is hard. This is just, it's hard. And, you know, it's hard for guys who have, you know, knocks on their career. You know, not everybody walks in like Deion Sanders. And, and again, I've, you know, I think one of the great arguments out there is sometimes, and I think about this a lot, is are we putting too many guys in? And you know, Dion makes a you know, Dion makes a good case. It should be a you know, like the guys that you don't even think about. I want to sneak a, a quick take from you. You haven't Eagles, gotten a Rondé Barber question in. What's going I, on? I here? know you're not going to answer it, so I just well, leave it alone. It. You can ask it. I I, <laughs> I will just I will just rhetorically say to uh-huh. the audience. To Jason, who knows what's coming, there's one person, one person only, and one person still, even in the 10 years since Rondé Barber has played, that has had 40 or more interceptions and 20 or more sacks in a career, and that's Rondé Barber. Rhetorically. There you go. Uh, uh, Rondé Barber, let me me say this for Rondé Barber. Okay, I'm not going to give away whether he got in or not. I would say that the, the discussion among the cornerbacks, Revis Barber and Albert Lewis, okay, mm-hmm. was a really spirited and heated one. Okay, that was that was probably the most heated discussion. It was I was trying to figure those three guys out. It was even more heated than the wide receiver discussion because I think at the wide receiver thing we're just stuck on like all three of those guys belong in, right? We just got to figure out, you know, like. When are they going to get it, right? Like, how's it going to happen? The cornerback thing was much more difficult, especially because Albert Lewis came in, you know, at the, at the 11th hour for the succession. Um, I would say this for Rondé Barber. Uh, the guy I would compare him to most, and there's a, a fair number of these guys, um, was a guy I grew up watching, okay? And we talk about different halls of fames, right? In the Baseball Hall of Fame, you have Don Sutton. Right. Right. The baseball pitcher. Right. The pitcher for the Dodgers. I grew up watching him. He was never electric. He was a great number three, number two starter. Okay. But that dude took the ball every fifth day, sometimes every fourth, depending on, you know, the time, the era of his when he was playing. And that guy compiled stats and stats and stats and stats and 50-something shutouts, 324 victories, you know, 3,000 straight, you know, all these things that were milestones. He was an amazing compiler, and he belongs in the Hall of Fame as a result. 
but you never looked at him and said, oh my God, what am I watching? And with Rondé Barber, it's kind of similar. Like he, you know, he had big plays, don't get me wrong. And he was a big part of those, that championship team and those great defenses. But it wasn't like when with Warren Sapp. When Warren Sapp would make a play, you go, oh my God, what did he just do? Mm-hmm. You know, or Derek Brooks. Derek Brooks, like, same kind oh of thing. Oh my God. You know, like it just like popped and went bam. And that's, you know, like that's the, that's the problem that you have with a guy who just shows up every single day and is, you know, carries that lunch pail and, and is not, doesn't have eye-popping talent. Like he doesn't pull a Deion Sanders where he does a one-handed interception at the goal line, gathers himself, and then runs 100 yards the other direction. I'm with you. Did, you know, just, did, just five, did, did Deion Sanders have five sacks in his career? I don't know if he did. No. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't going to show. Like, Deion doesn't show up with a lunch pail. He shows up in uh-huh. a limo. Okay. That's right. He's pretty. He's very pretty. Okay. And he doesn't touch people. Okay. They are different human beings. That's right. Okay. But if you want one's electric and the other one is that lunch pail dude that you're like, I can depend on that guy to be there every single time. I got electricity for you, my friend. It was 20 years ago at the vet in the last game at the vet and Rondé Barber closed down the vet with an electric 95 yard interception return. I'll take that over uh, over anything else in terms of memory. I still remember sure. saying to him shortly thereafter, they are going to talk about this play 10 years from now, 25 years from now. You are going to be remembered forever for that play. And he looked at me and said, really? And he now, should never, he, has he ever had to buy a drink in Tampa? Ever since? I don't think so. But now, <laughs> now, 15 or 20 years later, he and I are around each other. And I still say to him, was I right? What was I right about that play? Speaking of electric and that moment to help shut down veteran stadium and send the yeah. bucks to the super bowl. It's there. And we'll see if Rondé gets in. We'll see if Rivas Island, we yeah. mentioned the receivers. We mentioned all the other uh, Joe Thomas on the offensive line, Patrick Willis. We'll find out Zach Thomas uh, who gets in Demarcus Ware and others coming this weekend before you are gone, because I love your insight, Jason Cole. Give me a quick take on what do you think happens Sunday with Eagles, Chiefs, and the battle in the desert here. Mahomes going for a second Super Bowl. Uh, Hurts leading the Eagles for the first time. Eagles looking for a second Super Bowl in the last, uh, what, six seasons after not having one ever, had never won a Super Bowl, looking for the second one in six seasons. Any thoughts from you on what we might or might not see Sunday? Real quick in closing. I think the most important person in this game going into it is Steve Spagnuolo. 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 Um, I love Steve. Great coach. Um, But he's got to concoct a way to contain Jalen Hurts as a runner, force him to be a passer with a group of guys who are not fabulously talented. Okay? I mean, they've got a couple of guys. Chris Jones, Frank Clark's a good still. They like the 49ers are really good for a half against Jalen Hurts in that offense. Um, and got you know, got unlucky on the Devontae Smith play, and then you know, with the catch, no catch, you know, should have been an incomplete mm-hmm. pass, and then you know, Josh Johnson, the deep fumble, 
and then the three penalties on that one long drive that you know gave them that gave uh, Philly three scores in the first half, right? But I thought I thought the 49ers really did a nice job of containing Philadelphia. They still ended up with 31 points in that game, right? I think Spags has to find a way if if Kansas City is going to win, and I think that Kansas City, if these teams played three times. Kansas City wins once, and Philly probably wins the other two. And if there's a blowout in this game, Philly's the team that can blow the other, can blow Kansas City out because of their running game and their balance. But you know the Chiefs can win this game, and that depends largely on can you stifle the Eagles' offense enough and keep them in, say, the low 20s? You know, can you keep them to 20, 21, 23, 24 points? And that does that allow Mahomes to get 27, maybe 30? I don't, I don't see Kansas City putting up much more than 31 points on a good day. Like, that no. would be a hell of a day for them. Not against um, that defense, I agree. Not against, not against that defense, not against that pass rush, not with a limited quarterback, Okay. But I think they can win. I think Kansas City can win a game if if Spagnolo can keep this game close with a defense that's limited. But I like I have this image in my head stuck from when the Buccaneers just pounded the Chiefs defense, just pounded them. And some of that was, again, because Kansas City's offense couldn't hold the ball long enough either, and Tampa Bay's defense did a great job. And it, was, it was all married together, right? But I just remember watching that first half going, oh, my God, the Bucks are just pounding them. Right. And I will say this. I think Philly has an even better running game, especially – if Hertz gets out in the open field a couple of times, it really creates chaos for the Chiefs if Hertz is able to run. One other thing on that point, we know what Mahomes can do. His health's a question mark, but we know what he can do in the clutch. We know what he can do in the clutch in the postseason. Remember, in their win over the 49ers, he was able to bring them back from 10 down in the fourth quarter to win the Super Bowl. He couldn't work the magic, as you just mentioned. And by the way, today is the two-year anniversary. As Jason and I are recording this, this is the two-year anniversary of the COVID-crazy Super Bowl win by the Buccaneers 31-9. So he couldn't get them close in that game. But you look back to the AFC title game. They had to have it. He got them in field goal range, personal foul included for the late hit out of bounds. We haven't seen Jalen Hurts have to do that yet. We got a small sample size. We got three playoff games. They got blown out last year by Tampa Bay. And in both of the games this year, it was a laugher in the fourth quarter. The game was not on the line in either one of them. What happens, Jason Cole, you know this, if the game's on the line and Jalen Hurts has got to deliver, and does he throw a bad pick? Does he miss an open receiver? Does he cost him somehow, some way? That's just another variable I'll put out there. I don't know, but we'll see. Well, I mean, what happened to him in those kinds of games in college? Right. And he won some he won some of them. He also got pulled right. famously in, in a big one. So he's been very up and down. He's been very erratic. These are the this is the things we don't know about a young player um, like Jalen Hurts, who I, you know, frankly, I said on something earlier today, I think he's a better player than Lamar Jackson. I think he's a more complete player than Lamar Jackson, but he ain't perfect. And so we'll see. We will see. We will see about the Hall of Fame class for 2023. Thursday Jason, night. 
Thursday Jason night. knows. Jason knows, but he can't say at least until Thursday night. Then he can say Thursday night what happened in that room and, and how he felt. But I love Call this. me back Thursday night. Call me back Thursday night. <laughs> I love, I love we'll, this we'll insight. Whether, whether you want to scream at me about how we've done Ronde wrong or you want to celebrate that Ronde finally got there, you know, whatever mm. it is that you want to say. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I'm right here. Or you can find me on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And there'll be people screaming there too. Jason Cole 62. We look forward to that. Listen, you're always a treat. Thank you for hanging out on the last word on sports media podcast, talking pro football hall of fame voting and doing it virtually now versus in person. I think it's fascinating. And I hope some folks got what I got out of this conversation, uh, kind of a behind the scenes peek into it. Thank you, my friend. I love it. Jason Cole fascinated to find out who's in, and that's coming on Thursday night for the release of the Pro Football Hall of Fame 2023 class. Again, out of the likes of Zach Thomas or Reggie Wayne or Revis Island or uh, Rondé Barber, uh, on and on, Tory Holt, who got in out of the finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, and Jason there gave you some great insight on all of that with the process. Uh, all right, let's continue as the last word on sports media podcast rolls on an extravaganza in and around the Super Bowl. Mike Gill, he and Phil DeMont Mullen host the announcer schedules podcast. You'll hear that podcast uh, coming out on Thursday afternoon. But I caught up with Mike before he departed for Arizona as part of the media and the coverage of the Philadelphia Eagles as uh, that uh, contingent will be getting out to the Valley of the Sun midweek here covering Radio Row, getting ready for the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, Jalen Hurts, uh, Devontae Smith, uh, Miles Sanders, uh, Hassan Reddick, all the Eagles going up against Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, uh, and all the uh, and all the Kansas City Chiefs with Andy Reid and the coach. And, of course, the Chiefs have been there. So let's get the perspective not just about the X's and O's of the game, but covering the Super Bowl, because Mike has done that before. And this is what we bring you on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Here's Mike Gill on covering the Super Bowl at the, at the local angle, the radio row, what it's like to navigate, and much, much more. Well, as we do rock along, it is my pleasure to bring in from the Announcer's Schedules podcast. He's part of this feed, Last Word on Sports Media. He and Phil DeMont Mullen do a great job with announcer schedules, going over who calls it, what what broadcast, uh, what play-by-play, what analyst, TV, radio. Uh, they even give some good opinions, some good takes on who's doing it well, give you some of those highlights on announcer schedules. Hello, Mike Gill, and do we possibly have something to talk about as the week builds here towards Super Bowl 57? How you feeling? Feeling good? I'm uh, about to jump on a flight. You caught me right before my travels, uh, which are always wild when you're heading to the Super Bowl. But yeah, oh. flying out tonight to Arizona from Philadelphia to Phoenix. My first time in Phoenix, actually. Never been in the Valley of the Sun. How about that? Uh, again, he's covering the Super Bowl as part of his duties, not just for the Announcer Schedules podcast, but the ESPN uh, station in Atlantic City, South Jersey, 97.3 ESPN. So you're not at the airport right now because I don't hear in the background, Mr. Gill, the white courtesy phone, Mr. Gill. I don't hear that right now on the program, but you are headed out there to be part of And you've done this several times before, yeah. covering on Radio Row, um, it's interesting because this was done away with during the COVID-19 craziness uh, of uh, the 2021 Super Bowl off the 2020 season. There there basically was no radio row. 
It kind of got back to it last year in Los Angeles. But again, there were big time restrictions in California on what you could do. So I think it's fair to say for the first time in three years, if Radio Row could ever be called normal Mike Gill, it's sort of back to a normal Radio Row. What do you anticipate with the mayhem of stations and outlets and guests and producers and hangers on? What do you anticipate? So Radio Row is an interesting dynamic. Everybody seems to have an opinion on it. I was in New York um, back in that Jersey Super Bowl, which was a really weird situation. We were in like a ballroom of a hotel and it mm-hmm. seemed like, you know, um, you know, we don't really know where we're going to do things and what you're going to do. And we just were kind of like in this random ballroom that was like outside of another ballroom. And it was like another ballroom. And then I was in Atlanta and Miami and Minnesota. So I don't know the order of them, but I think it was Minnesota, Atlanta, then Miami. But you're right. Tampa, which I know very well. I've been to Tampa millions of times. That Super Bowl, there was no radio row that year. Last year, very limited. We chose not to go. So this will be the first time back. And I have a map. They give you a map of where you are in this <laughs> this huge convention center. And it is just like every station possible is jammed into this convention center. All these local stations are in the middle. And on the exteriors, you have like your ESPNs, your Fox, your CBS Sports, your DraftKings, your Pat McAfee. Like that level. So you have the big guys. It's like a supermarket, like the healthy foods on the outside and all the junk food. We're all in the middle. just like That's a phenomenal for- analogy. Let me give you 10 bonus points for that analogy. Right. Uh, that, yes. Out on the out, out on the perimeter is like the high end real estate. That That's the guess that the 17 producers who are trying to fist fight and elbow each other are never going to have a shot to get because they're going to the different shows out around on the on the perimeter. Um, What's well, right, funny so this you, year, the map yeah. that they gave us. They show you where everybody's table is, and then they give you an Excel spreadsheet of, like, who the contact is for each of these places. But on the map, there's an actual, like, VIP red carpet on the outside of that. So I'm imagining, like, the highest of high-level guests. So, like, people have kind of broke down the guest level. Like, if you're a Monday guest, like, you're kind of like, you know, the fourth right. string running back. This Tuesday, you're like a third stringer. Wednesday, you're the backup. Thursday is when like the heavy hitters start to come in and then Friday it dissipates a little bit because everybody partied and now they're flying out of there and like that's it so the VIP thing on the outside I could see like you know uh, the Brett well I guess Brett Farr is probably not an A-level guest anymore right anymore yeah maybe not Push, but like if Aaron uh, also, Rogers- also uh, federal and state charges being levied against people you're associated with might keep him from being an A-level guest. But that's yes. a whole nother show. At one point, segment. he would have been an A-level guest on Radio Row because he's a guy that might have been but, like when around. they bring Joe Montana around because yes. Montana will come around and Montana yes. is obviously Smith. one for Super Bowl. That's the Emmett Smith. Those are the A-level guys you're talking about that are synonymous with Super Bowls of the 80s, the 90s. Everybody still remembers them. And they even have like current star players that will be around yeah. that will be promoting things. That would probably be a level guests as well. They would be on the Thursday shows generally. So on a Thursday, you will hear, you know, um, let's see, you might hear who would uh, I'm trying to just think of a okay, we're in Arizona. So you might hear like um DeAndre Hopkins if he's kind of like right. now he right. might be traded, so he probably won't or be. JJ Watt recently retired, Correct. you know, would so be you good. Would get that level of guest on like a Thursday. Earlier in the week. Now, see, what happens when you go out there, you start to build relationships and you get that face to the person. 
So you will start to get emails in the weeks leading up to Radio Row. Like, hey, I have these seven people that I have available for Radio Row. These are the times they're available. And it's like Wednesday from 1 to 3. Well, of course, I'm on East Coast time, but Radio Row's on Mountain Time. So Mm -hmm. you're like trying to convert of what time my show is, when my show's on the air, when are they available. So there's a whole lot of strategic thing. And then you're like waiting, right? Well, I know so-and-so is going to email with his list of guests. So I don't want to <laughs> you know, book while I'm waiting. So it is a whole chess match. I actually, I know you can see it because we're on a Zoom here. The, right, the, we're on a Zoom. I can yeah. see the spreadsheet. And I the have spreadsheet, a spreadsheet of my guests. The spreadsheet is not coming. as involved as an NFL play caller calling plays. But these it, are is, people it is. That are, these are people that are being recorded. These okay. are going to be live uh, wow. on the air. So, so he's I'm showing this that. to me, and it's not as complicated as the as the McDonald's menu has now become, but it's close uh, with your spreadsheet. I love the insight of Mike Gill. He and Phil DeMont-Molin are on the Announcer Schedules podcast on this podcast feed. I know we're thrilled to now be with Last Word on Sports. The Last Word on Sports media podcast is what you're listening to last now. Right now, you're, you need to listen to this feed. As we've been mentioning, uh, George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know that has Jay Hilgenberg, the former Bears offensive lineman from the Super Bowl Shuffle Bears of 1985, is on this feed immediately preceding. And again, I'm looking forward to once Mike gets out there, he's going to give a taste of it with Phil DeMont Mullen on announcer schedules on this podcast feed. So I love that about this. Uh, I, what have else? Couple, what else? I have a couple I have a couple people that are already booked for announcer schedules that I can give a pre-tease. Okay? Give a little tease. Give a little tease of what they're hearing later in the week from Radio Row. What do you got? Well, he, don't jinx not, it, but what do you what well, don't jinx it, but what do you got? I I already so he's not thought to be a broadcaster, but because Tony Romo keeps going to him so much, I'm going to talk to Gene Steratore yes. about his role as the of the, the referee on these broadcasts now and how much it's evolved and how much a part they want him to be of these broadcasts. So I have Gene Steratore will be on the announcer schedules pod. I Love also, it. right. I also have uh, planned and this isn't a hundred percent book only because I don't have a time yet. This is the whole, you know, trying to get a time and seeing if I'm available and if it can work. Uh, but I will have the two voices, uh, Rolando Cantu and Miguel Gerwitz. You might not know those names, but this will be a really interesting story. They are the play-by-player and color analysts for the Spanish-speaking version of the Super Bowl on NBC Telemundo for Love Sunday it. Night Football. So we're going to kind of hear their path of where they grew up and how they got called. Uh, they're both uh, Mexican descent. How they got called to be the voice of Super Bowl 57. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that'll be on this feed as well. And the good news for you, you don't have to brush up on your Espanol because they speak well enough in English. that They're going to talk to you about calling it in Spanish. And there is a rabid following for the NFL, especially the Cowboys in Mexico. And there's a, there's a lot of NFL fans all over Central America, South America, believe it or not. That, uh, that love the Spanish call or the international call of the game. So I'm fascinated on that. few minutes left with Mike Gill. I love Mike's Inside Announcer Schedules podcast with Phil DeMott-Mullen. And again, Mike's station uh, in South Jersey, Atlantic City is 97.3 ESPN. He's out at the Radio Row. Uh, okay, you made mention you were in Minnesota when it was freezing cold back, what now, six years ago 
uh, for the Eagles win over the Patriots. So you could do nothing outside. By the way, you're golden on the forecast. I just looked. You're like mid-70s, high-70s all week in Arizona. You didn't even get to like seven, single-digit seven, um, for the Minnesota Super Bowl with the Patriots and the Eagles. I'm just curious, though, when it is the team that you cover, you cover and you're around all the Philly teams, you're around the Eagles. How did it differ then? How do you think it'll differ now in terms of what you're trying to do to serve your audience and covering the Eagles and the actual game as opposed to just the radio row and the event of the Super Bowl because you've done it before? Yeah, Minnesota, you're right. When they say it's a different kind of cold, they ain't lying. Uh, I grew, I'm in the Northeast, and it's cold right. here in the winter right. at times. I mean, we've had a pretty mild winter. We've been in the 40s and in the 50s for most of December and January. That is a different kind of cold. So you're right. Going outside was not an option. Uh, it was a really weird setup. I got to be honest, because the Radio Row was in the Mall of America's yeah. food court. <laughs> not conducive <laughs> to getting people there. There was not a lot of room, but the two teams stayed at hotels that like flanked the mall because the mall is about a half hour away from the stadium. Correct. We have an Eagles reporter. His name's Scott Grayson. He's been with us for, he goes to every um, radio row. Uh, he also is the um, uh, Fox 29 uh, sports reporter for uh, Fox. He goes and covers the teams for us. He'll go to the Eagles practices every day. He'll then join us on Radio Row to give us live hits and reports. They are practicing in the afternoon this time, which makes it a little trickier. Before, when we were in Minnesota, which was central time, they practiced in the morning. We were only one hour off, so he was able to come back and do a lot of the show and give us a lot of insight. Here, he's going to do the first two hours of shows with us, go to practice, and then be back the next day for two hours to give us some insight on that. Now, where the practice facility is, now he is an Arizona State graduate, so he knows the lay of the land very well out there. So he is going <laughs> to be able to go and, and report on everything. So we do have a reporter uh, on the Eagles coming with us that gives us a big advantage and more color uh, of reporting for sure. practices. And that's what your audience would want with you guys yeah. uh, being there and going over all of this. And again, uh, a, you know, you know that I work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And whenever we travel to Minnesota, most of the time we're staying out at one of those hotels you're talking about by the Mall of America, because then we all go walk the Mall of America, which you can walk for like four hours and not see all of it. And it even has an amusement park in it. That's a two day trip. The Mall of America it's, is a two day crazy. trip. It's crazy. I will uh, say have like, that TJ, yeah. the, the, the dynamic and challenge of mixing in the Eagles, who are the team in this market, yep. and covering them, yet bringing the color of what Radio Row is to our listeners, there is a balance where, you know, we're going to be talking to, early in the week, um, former Eagle linebacker Dahani Jones. He was very popular mm -hmm. when he played here. Brian Mitchell was another Eagle, very mm -hmm. popular when he played here. He'll be on the show. So, like, getting those guys' stories, but also getting the now of who's hurt, who's playing, what the Eagles game plan is, trying to mix that all in to make it entertaining and informative all at the same time. There is a challenge there because, you know, there are, for instance, there is a, um, a guest that was offered to me, Chris Davis, 
I don't know how many people know who he is, but he is playing George Foreman in the new Foreman movie. Oh, yes. So yeah, I didn't know the actor's name, but that that movie that uh, movie based on George Foreman, Big yes. George, the heavyweight champ's life is it's it already out or it's about to be out. It's coming out. And, and there's usually a big movie where there's the guy, you know, I had Miles Teller on in Miami. He was promoting mm-hmm. Top Gun. Kevin mm-hmm. Costner and Jennifer Garner were on in New York because they were promoting draft day. So there's generally a movie where somebody yep. promoting something. So Chris Davis, George Foreman's brother, Roy, lives in my market. We are good friends. I know Roy very well. And I wanted to try to get Chris on, but he's already booked up. But those dynamics. You got to go to Roy and make that happen. You got to form an Get some I leverage. Talked, I have talked to Chris's guy, and he's going to have him on the radio with me when I'm home as opposed right. to Radio Row. You but- do whatever you have to do. And you talk to uh, Miles Teller, uh, who's from just north of me, Citrus County, Florida, a couple of counties up, the actor. You promoted Top Gun, the movie, at the Super Bowl in February of 2020. And little did we know that we had to wait like almost two and a half years right. for yeah. that movie you were promoting at that Super Bowl because of the shutdown and the craziness. They waited till the theaters were back open and now, pushed you know, it Miles back. Teller and pushed it lo- back. Miles Teller is also local to us. He grew up going to Cape May in the summertime. And if you watch the World Series, he was at every Phillies World Series game. Huge Phillies fan. And I got to be honest, I didn't know who the guy was when he was in Miami. I had no clue. But, (laughs) you know, we had him on and and I found out about the Top Gun. But you're right. The Top Gun got delayed. But those are the kind of things you're trying to balance. Now, Sal Palantonio, he does our show every Friday. He will be, you know, he is reporting on the Eagles all this week. You've probably seen him on the television. Uh, Last night, he hosted the Q&A with Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Brandon Graham and Chris, uh, um, uh, my gosh, uh, the the defensive tackle for the Chiefs. I'm blanking. Chris Harris. Sorry, Chris, Chris Day, uh, Chris Jones, Chris Jones, Chris, I, yes. Chris Jones. Yes, Chris Jones. So he is doing a Q and A with all them. In the middle of it, I get a text from one Sal Palantonio with a <laughs> picture of him, Andy Reid, and Howie Roseman. I said, "Oh, they got the band back together." So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sal will be on Friday, but there's that dynamic of getting what's going on at the Super Bowl and reporting on the game on our four-hour show. So it's definitely a a juggle. This guy's going to juggle it all. And again, you'll hear more with he and Phil DeMont Mullen on this very podcast feed, Last Word on Sports Media, from the, the new association we have with Last Word on Sports uh, again, Mike will be from Radio Row with Phil telling some stories later on in this week. Stand by for that on the coverage of the Super Bowl as much as anything. In 30 seconds or less, you don't have to make a prediction. What do you expect Sunday, Eagles, Chiefs, besides we scrutinize how healthy is Mahomes? That's a given. What do you expect? Uh, I had Philadelphia beating San Francisco handily, and I don't see why this game's any different. The only difference would be Mahomes keeps them in the game and keeps it close. Here's the difference. Philadelphia's offensive line is like nobody nobody sees an offensive line like this. And I think they will run the ball, control the clock, keep Mahomes off the field, and they run, they run the ball all year long. And you look at their games, they're 28-7, stuff like that, because they just pulverize teams into submission. They wear them down, and people just aren't used to it. So it's an old-school running type of team that can throw. They have two great wide receivers, an excellent tight end, but I think Philadelphia will – will win the game probably 31-20, something like that. 
Mm. The Mahomes and Chiefs fans don't want to hear that because he was hey, supposed look, to be Mahomes the next guy. 20, Mahomes scored 23 points last week against the Bengals. This defense is better than the Bengals defense. They get way more pressure uh, with just the four, and they have a much better secondary. If you only put 23 up last week against that Bengals team, I want to know where you're getting 30-plus points, and I think that's what you're going to need to score. That's the breakdown from Mike Gill. I always love interviews like this on the behind the scenes. Good luck with the schematics and the uh, the map on the radio row in Arizona and trying to accomplish all of it. And I mean this, you and Phil do a tremendous job with announcer schedules. I was checking you out last weekend off the conference title games. I'm looking forward to hearing your pod later in the week on this feed from the radio row. Thank you for giving us a bunch here on this one on Last Word on Sports Media, Mike Gill. Great stuff. Yeah, no problem. By the way, I was on New Zealand radio last night and they wanted to talk about my comments on Tony Romo on the announcer schedules pod. You are big in Kiwi land with announcer schedules. That's Who right. knew? That's right. I, I love right. this. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Mike Gill. All right, DJ. Thanks, man. Yes, and Mike will be with Phil on announcer schedule. Phil DeMont Mullen joining Mike Gill on announcer schedule with more from the Radio Row and more from Super Bowl week in Arizona. State Farm Stadium, Glendale, Arizona coming up. Uh, you'll hear the announcer schedules podcast right here on this podcast feed coming up starting Thursday afternoon on their release. Great content here from our partners at Last Word on Sports, lastwordonsports.com with their support. And we couldn't get out of here. I got to play a little a little bit of Love It or Leave It before we're done. We couldn't get out of here with some of this. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Well, the fans were loving the Duke Carolina basketball game on ESPN. I will reference uh, numerous different times the Sports Media Watch website where John Lewis read uh, wrote about and we read about uh, the Duke-North Carolina game uh, making uh, having nearly 3 million people watch. Um, averaging 2.9 million for the close win by John Shire in his first Duke Carolina game as the coach. Remember, he's been a player. John Shire and Duke beating Hubert Davis's North Carolina team had nearly 3 million viewers, and that's a four-year high going back to Zion Williamson and the 2019 game that had over 4 million. Zion ended up being the number one overall pick. There are certainly some big names, but neither team was ranked, Duke and Carolina. There may end up being a lottery pick or two, uh, but certainly not a name like Zion Williams. It's still the ratings were up. It won the night in terms of cable. It had a better it had a better number at two point nine million than anything else on cable TV for Duke Carolina uh, for Saturday night. So uh, good for the college basketball. And actually, the lead in the Indiana Purdue lead in. People were loving that out of the Big Ten with Indiana's upset of number one Purdue that had over two million people watching as the lead in for Duke Carolina at six thirty, uh, Eastern Time. Uh, also on the love it or leave it uh, train for this weekend, the whatever that was, uh, I, I left it. I did not watch the Pro Football uh, Pro Bowl Skills Competition. I, I just at this point I'm over the entire thing on all the dodgeball or whatever they're playing, and then the flag football. Still, there were over 4 million people that watched uh, for the for the Pro Bowl skills competition that took place uh, for this weekend. Hardly something I was interested in. I left it, but I know some people uh, were watching it. Uh, the NHL All-Star Game, by the way, was on Saturday, and they got it on ABC on network TV, and the rating was point. O rating and 1.5 million for the audience. Uh, so that was the um, 
the highest that it had been in four years since the game last aired on NBC in terms of the All-Star game. But the NHL, again, lags way behind any of the other All-Star games from the NBA or the Pro Bowl, much less Major League Baseball in the summer. But they did end up uh, getting a better number because they were on ABC as well as ESPN Saturday afternoon while all the college basketball was going on. So you had some love for the NHL, but most people uh, left it as well. Uh, A couple of other things on on the love it or leave it. Um, The the upcoming Super Bowl be wagered on every which direction. And the the gambling is so prevalent uh, everywhere now, legalized everywhere. But can we leave it with all the talk about how long is the national anthem under over going to be? What color is the Gatorade going to be that gets dumped on the winning coach? All of these obscene prop bets on will the first ad be a beer food or car ad on tv from fox you are a degenerate you should leave it alone if you're betting any significant money on on whether or not a budweiser ad is going to appear with a horse in it like they always traditionally have for the budweiser ads uh on on whether or not uh the uh take your pick on whether or not the surprise guest uh, for Rihanna's halftime show uh, might be Eminem because they had a song together way back. Well, you got props every which direction, and, and some of it is too much just to leave it on leather, leave it with the Super Bowl props and how all that might happen. Um, by you know, And by the way, almost everything else comes to a stop, but it is interesting. The PGA Tour is in Arizona for the Waste Management Open in Scottsdale, the Phoenix suburbs at Scottsdale, not far from Glendale. And they've got to finish the coverage on CBS uh, with Jim Nance and now uh, Trevor Immelman in the booth replacing the retired Nick Faldo. They've got to finish that thing as quickly as possible. They they want to be done long before kickoff. Their nightmare is what happens if it runs long, goes into a sudden death playoff. So the golf is scheduled to be done earlier. But, man, it, you talk about leave it on the golf audience. There won't be anybody watching. There, I mean, relatively, the hardcore golf fans and people that have bet on it We'll still be watching, but everybody will be over on the pregame show. By the time they get to the the back nine and the final few holes, almost nobody will be watching the Waste Management Open. It's a crazy scene on that 16th hole, the par three amphitheater that now has like 20,000 people surrounding that hole in that green. But it'll be slim pickings for anybody that's at that tournament Sunday, especially with the Super Bowl in Arizona. I'm still I'm still in the mindset and remember back in the mid-90s when the Cowboys and the Steelers were playing on Super Bowl Sunday that they finished on Saturday for the PGA Tour event. And I want to say without looking, that was Phil Mickelson, Justin Leonard battling it out on a Saturday duel at the then Phoenix Open, what's now the the Waste Management Open. Uh, They finished on Saturday for the PGA Tour, but this will butt up right against the golf. Uh, Good luck getting it done uh, before Super Bowl 57. And ultimately here, I think it will be a wild game uh, depending on Patrick Mahomes' health. I mean, keep in mind, he's been in this big game twice before. Jalen Hurts is not, as we were talking about with Mike Gill earlier in the conversations. That may be a big factor. Uh, it will be a big factor that Andy Reid has been in this game to coach and make adjustments and handle it, and Nick Sirianni has not. Again, Sirianni's coached three playoff games. Three. Blown out in the game with the Buccaneers a year ago in the wild card round, and now two easy wins at home. What happens if this is a close game, a chess match, X's and O's? Is that not advantage Andy Reid? Um, all right, so uh, let's see how the Super Bowl unfolds. Uh, we, we will find out what happens. I, if I had to lean, I'd have to I'd have to lean to the Chiefs. 
uh, here against the Philadelphia Eagles, but we'll see. The Eagles have been so good running the ball. They got an outstanding defense. And if Mahomes is hobbling around and can't can't move on that high ankle sprain, that could be big trouble. Anyway, we're looking forward to everything that is going to go on with the Super Bowl. We had a huge debut podcast here last word on sports media i know we've been going for a while but it's great content thanks again to george offman tell me a story i don't know is his podcast and again as we said with george uh not just football but he's got the likes of jason bonetti talking uh baseball broadcasting with the chicago white Sox, as well as his college duties with espn and fox now uh greg gumbel talking ncaa tournament down the road joe madden talking baseball later on uh on and on down the list local people uh national uh, media and people all on tell me a story i don't know and mike and phil with announcer schedules break down all the broadcasters the play-by-play guys the analysts on the national level espn fox cbs you name it national radio etc they get great guests and again announcer schedules part of this last word on sports media podcast feed my thanks also to jason cole i love mixing it up with him on the pro football hall of fame voting read jason at outkick.com for his thoughts on the Super Bowl as well, but he's got great insight on the Hall of Fame class. They'll announce that class on Thursday, depending on when you hear the podcast, Thursday night, the big made-for-TV event, as Jason was alluding to. Thanks to all the guests, and thank you for finding us. Spread the word. Share it out. Last word on sports media. We will be here for you uh, all, all throughout the uh, the rest of the winter, into the spring, into the summer. Anything happening in sports media, I'll bring you guests. I'll bring you inside analysis uh, right here with Last Word on Sports and Last Word on Sports Media and the podcast feed. Check out all the podcasts. Go to lastwordonsports.com slash podcasts that are part of uh, the family of podcasts with Last Word on Sports. For now, we're good. I am merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with me as we prepared you for the Super Bowl. We'll be back soon with another edition of the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.